for the last four months, I've been doing really good. I know that's not a long time for the average person, but for me, and that's, you know, a very significant time period. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, well, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. Thanks to all the survivors who have joined me on this podcast since we first launched back in July of 2020 and to everybody who listens. I really appreciate it. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And we are talking about suicide. So please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you listen because there's so much to learn. Check the show notes for ways in which you can help this podcast, including a financial contribution. If that's not your jam, Keep listening. We really appreciate it. And let folks know about the podcast. Share it on social media. I do think there's people out there that need to hear it. Today, I am talking with Angie. Angie lives up in Ontario, Canada, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Angie. You're in your bedroom, which is colored purple. Yes, my favorite color. Everything in my life is purple. And you reached out to me, which I really appreciate. Why did you want to uh, connect with me and then join me here? Because I I think more people need to do what you're doing and more people need to talk about suicide. Be comfortable with it. I think there's such a stigma attached to it and we we need to do what you're doing and we need to be more comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. Even me as a suicide attempt survivor, I think I'm still uncomfortable with it. So. We need to change that for a lot of people. And I think you're doing an amazing thing. And I want to be part of that. I appreciate that. I Yeah, I really do. So do you think that we're just speculating here that when people hear us talking about it, you talking about your, uh, your attempt and the aftermath, that it does help other people maybe get more comfortable talking about it, if that's one of the main goals? I really do, because I've listened to not all of your podcasts yet, but a lot of them, almost all of them so far. And that's brought me here. I've never publicly talked about it to anybody very privately. There's a lot of shame that goes with it. People feel very ashamed about it. When people find out, it's a very shameful thing and really shouldn't be. It shouldn't be shamed upon. There should not be the stigma to it because it's the mental health thing, it's, it's people don't choose to do it, in my belief. Right. I don't think anybody really wants to ever attempt to or end their life. It's a decision that's made when there's no hope, there's no other option. I would agree with that. Yeah, I agree with you. This is totally random, but my sister's favorite color is purple. I'm just saying. <laughs> I have three boys, so I, I feel I need to like be a girl inside my room because everything else in my life is very not purple it's very blue and black (laughs) gotcha 
All right. So you have three sons? Yes, I do. By the way, before I start asking you all about your life, I'm curious, was there a particular episode, and you may not have an answer here, that stood out for whatever reasons? I really liked them all because mm. they all understand it. And people who haven't experienced it really don't have an understanding of why or how people can get to the point of wanting wanting to take their life or even having that thought. Mm-hmm. So I really yeah. appreciate everything they all have to say. And it makes me feel not that there is such a thing as normal, but a little more normal. Yeah. It makes me feel not so crazy that the thoughts in my head are other people are in the same boat as me. What are or have been the thoughts in your head? So I've actually suffered from suicide ideation for, I want to say forever. My first attempt was when I was 13, which is a very long time ago. That was one of my most serious attempts. I was hospitalized for a while. I I took a bunch of pills. I was found in the middle of a road by the police and I spent some time in the hospital. I come from a family that really doesn't believe in mental health and or medication. So I grew up not believing that I have mental health diagnosis or illnesses. So I never got treated. I kind of just lived this life untreated. So I, I went through, I lived a life of, I have bipolar and borderline personality disorder and PTSD. And it really affects your life if you're not treated. Mm-hmm. So I, I lived a very... I want to say crazy, and I don't like using that word, but, you know, I I went through periods of very manic, depressive, but I I never was treated because my mother didn't believe in it. I was abused as a child sexually, so I had this very traumatic experience that I also didn't deal with until I was an adult and, like, realized that I needed to get help, Mm -hmm. that I had these very real mental health conditions. So, you know, I, I happened, that happened when I was 13. I stopped going to school at a very young age. I officially, the last grade I passed was grade five. I don't know how it is everywhere else, but here, unless your parents agree to like keep you in a grade, you, they just kind of push you along. So that's what happened to me. And then in grade nine, I just didn't go to high school. I dropped out. I decided to work full time to take care of myself and when I was 17, I met a boy. I fell in love, at least I thought I did. And for six years, I did my thing with him, but that ended because of my mental health. It was untreated. Our relationship needed to end because I just couldn't be in a relationship because of my now, because I know my diagnosis, my mental health did not allow me to have a relationship. I couldn't be intimate with him because of my traumas. I would literally bawl my eyes out after we were intimate. And I was just so manic or depressed. And he didn't know how to deal with it. Mm. No fault of his own. But like being with someone with such complex diagnosis untreated, it, it's not for anybody to deal with. It's, it's not fair for anybody. So we broke up and I went on a spiral. I, I think a lot of things happened. I ended up getting pregnant with my oldest son. I had a lot of trouble parenting him. So my grandmother helped me parent him. That's when I had my second attempt, shortly after my oldest son was born. 
for years, I was just in and out of the hospital, psychiatric wards. I was diagnosed, misdiagnosed, and re-diagnosed with mm-hmm. so many different things. I think it's a revolving door once you go into a psychiatric facility. It's it's like, you know, you're in and out forever. I am a testament to that. You Once you go there once, you, you can never stop going. Mm. For whatever reason, I don't know. But then... I had this really great psychiatrist. It was about four years ago. She really just took her time. She kept me in the hospital for about seven weeks, which is unheard of here. Mm -hmm. Usually stay in about two weeks. She really rearranged all my medication and really like just sat down and wanted to know about me and like my history, not just like what happened with this episode. And she put me on what I call my life-saving drug and it really like stabilized me for like what I will say the first time in my entire life Mm. and for two years I was stable I was not hospitalized I had no psychosis there was no voices things were fantastic but then this drug it damaged a lot of my internal organs my kidneys and liver and so I just it had to be stopped because it was too damaging for me And that was devastating for me because then I'm back at ground zero and like trying to figure out the meds that worked. And so I became unstable again in the whole Mm. psych ward. And so then April of now last year, I attempted again. It was a pretty scary one. It's the same. I always take pills, try that way. And I was in the hospital for about two weeks. Ever since then, I've kind of been living in like, survival mode is what I say. I've never really been like living my life. I've just mm. been surviving it. Mm-hmm. And then in September of this year, I signed up to do this really amazing DBT course they offer online. It's really made a really big difference for me. I've done DBT before and it's had a profound impact on me. But for some reason, this particular course really, it was really just different. The instructor was really amazing and And she just had really powerful words that really, to this day, stick with me and help, like, ground me. And, uh, yeah, I had another attempt in October, but um, I had some very big personal things in my life happen. I lost ties with my mother and some other personal things. But for the last four months, I've I've been doing really good. I know that's not a long time for (laughs) the average person, but for me and other mental health people that's you know a very significant time period Mm. push and go but I have right now too I have a very good psychiatrist and I've I've had her for almost two years but I'm finally to the point with her that I trust her I know that may sound weird to say but I've had a lot of psychiatrists and I feel most of them not most of them a lot of them are just like you go, they prescribe you medication and they send you home. And that's kind of like what their job is. But she's very different. She really cares about me, not just me, all her patients, like holistically. She's a very safe space for me. I'm at the point where I can trust her and I really feel that she really is a safe space for me. So I, I really feel like I'm in the right direction to like go to a place where I can actually like find a life worth living instead of like a life worth surviving and I'm really like I have children who actually suffer from mental health too so 
it's like even a bigger issue for me to be like here and try to like have a conversation publicly publicly about it because I not only have to advocate for myself I'm an advocate for my children as well mm-hmm. and it's it's really hard to advocate for mental health it's not an easy road and you know, I've learned that for myself and I'm I also I'm fighting this battle for my children to even get them mental health services. So I really appreciate what you're doing and you know it's a step in the right direction. Thank you for sharing all of that. I appreciate it. So I want to go back, just you'd said a few things and I wrote some stuff down and I want to make sure I understood you correctly. And I might have a few questions if that's okay. So you said you stopped going to school when you were about you were young. And your first attempt was when you were 13 years old, you took pills, the police found you, and you were hospitalized. Were you unconscious? Because I'm always wondering how people respond to these types of situations. Were they kind to you, the police and the people in the hospital? They treat you, and also you were quite young as well. Did they treat you nicely or not so nice? Or do you have any memories of that? I don't remember my interaction with the police. I was unconscious. I I know, actually, most of what happened from my childhood, I know from finding out as an adult from reports and stuff. Mm. I do remember being in the hospital, bits and pieces of it, because I I was sent to actually a different hospital than what is my local hospital, because I sent to a hospital where they have a children's program. I remember it not being a bad thing. I do remember, though, that's where I self-harm and that's where I learned to self-harm because my roommate actually used to cut and that's where I learned how to do that behavior. So that's not a great thing. But like in terms of like staff and programming, it, it was not bad. I will say, though, over the years, I've had a lot of interactions with police, police and apprehensions under the Mental Health Act with police. And I've had some very, very good experiences and some very not so good experiences. I actually have a very good friend who is a police officer who I I met because he actually apprehended me a few times. And because of that, he just wanted to keep in touch with me because we have a, a personal similarity in his personal life and my personal life. And he felt the need to reach out to me personally. So there's been some good that's come out of my bad situations. Mm-hmm. So at some point you get diagnosed, and I imagine this was a little bit later in your life with bipolar, borderline personality, and PTSD, which is any one of them is a challenge. And you were managing all three and not necessarily being aware. One of the things I thought about was, so you're a teenager at this point, or maybe in your 20s, you had said you had one attempt you had the fairly long-term relationship with a guy and then you had your first son and that ended. How are you living? How are you making ends meet? I'm curious. So I worked since I was 14 years old. I've lived in shelters. I've lived on the streets. I lived in a group home as a teenager for uh, about a year. So I've essentially done it all. And really did not have a glamorous life, a life worth living. Mm-hmm. I lived off and on with my mother. I did live with my grandmother for a while. After I had my, I have twins. Um, after I had my twins, that was later in life when I was 30, I ended up getting my own apartment. And that's when I officially 
moved out on my own and the shelters and group homes and all that nonsense was done with. Mm -hmm. Um, My life was not stable. I still went through horrific stuff with my mental health and uh, all that. But yeah, prior to that, it was like kind of like everywhere. I lived with friends. I, I lived with my boyfriend for a while. Yeah, it was not a nice life. I've seen and done things that I, I am not proud of or didn't want to see, but that's part of a life, I guess, you live when you have uh, mental health issues that are untreated. Yeah. And I recognize that now. It's 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 not an excuse by no means, but I think if I had a more supportive family that would have helped me earlier, I know, I don't think my life could have been a lot different, way more different, actually. Sure. But even sure. my family to this day, even with my children, they, they're they not supportive in what I'm doing to support my children with their issues, and mm-hmm. they disagree with it. But, you know, I, I know what I need to do and what I need to do for, for myself and for my children as well. So, No doubt supportive family or people make a huge difference of course yeah and now even it sounds like it's you already have a lot of things that are really hard and now you got to battle that too you know and advocating for your family and then you're dealing with pushback it's it sounds very very difficult your second attempt you had said you'd, you'd mentioned you said they were all from pills do you remember about how old you were for that second attempt and then you said you were in and out of hospitals for a while Maybe about 25, 24. My question, I guess, and, and again, you may not know the answer here. You're 13, you try, you're in your, let's say your mid-20s when you try again. So there's several years that go by. Do you remember what was going on in that moment or in those moments you decided to try? Whereas the day before, you didn't. Well, I know my first attempt from at least my memories it happened because um my abuse had stopped it was the year that my abuse stopped which may seem odd to people but nobody knew about it and it was kind of i I didn't know what to do i didn't have a supportive family i didn't have anybody and i just everything was wrong in my life i had no other options at that time as a little girl in my mind i was and that's just the only option I felt I had. So that was that time. The second time, I, I think it was similar, just a different situation. It was shortly after I got out of uh, this relationship and he was like the first love of my life. You know, things just spiraled and I knew that we had only broken up because of my mental health issues. Mm. I was very aware of that. Mm. We didn't break up and we, we didn't hate each other. We weren't mad at each other. I was just very aware. We were both very aware. We couldn't be together because I was just so sick. Like I couldn't be with him intimately. I didn't really like him touching me, which was too traumatic for me. I was, you know, manic and all these things. So that was hard to like let go of something that was so great, but like it just couldn't happen. And, you know, I had this little baby and, I, I couldn't even when I first had my child, I couldn't bathe him because of my traumas. It was too traumatic for me. I felt wrong. So all those things. And that was just, again, I, I felt like my only option was like 
to just not be on this earth because nothing was right for me. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't be a mom. I couldn't be a girlfriend. You know, so there was nothing left for me. Like, I just couldn't be a human being. I was doing nothing right. It's it's tough to have that realization in your mind. It's, it's not an easy place mm. to be. Yeah. You survived that. And then I don't know how much time goes by until last year. What's interesting about that is the, the gaps, right? There are some gaps and you're getting, you're surviving. It sounds like, and, and I could be way off here, like you're fighting for a long time and then you just can't do it anymore. And then you're fighting for a long time and you just can't do it anymore, which makes sense. And so in April, 2021, if I heard you correctly, you tried again with pills, yeah? Yeah, actually, I think it was February, but yes. Okay, early 2021, about a year ago, more or less. Yes. A little less than a year ago. And was there anything going on then in particular? It was the anniversary of my grandmother's death. It was my 40th birthday, which I felt like was the end of the world for some reason. I, I'm not sure why. Logically, I can't answer that question. It just, I just felt like it was the worst birthday in the world. But the death of my grandmother, uh, her anniversary was a big thing. And I just, I, I've been struggling for a while. And I think everything was just snow piling. I am a single mother and I don't have support. So that adds up every day and like eventually you get to a point where it crashes and your body just gives up that all happened in february do any of your three sons know about any of your attempts so in february i i don't know exactly how much my old my oldest son is a teenager i don't know how much he knows but i did leave somewhat of a suicide don't but not so specific it just kind of said like i'm so sorry like i try very hard and i love you guys and like kind of general not like goodbye definitely and he was the one to find it he wrote me back a note and he just said he loves me and uh you know he's sorry and he there was some alcohol because whenever i overdose i I drink too and i'm not a drinker ever So he wrote that he was thrown away the alcohol and basically that was it. And that specific incident was never talked about. But since then, me and my kids have talked very openly about my conditions, my diagnosis, and like what it looks like when I get sick. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how much specifically he knows about me attempting suicide but my younger ones do not know Mm -hmm. but they know that I have been sick that I can get sick that I can experience and have experienced psychosis they know what to do if I I do get sick they know that they need to call 911 if like I'm like talking to somebody else or like hearing things Mm -hmm. they're very mental health aware It's a very open conversation in my house, but suicide in me specifically is not, but we do talk about suicide. When we started talking, you said that very few people know about what you've gone through. So it sounds like other than obviously like a doctor or a nurse or a police officer who finds you, is there anybody who, who knows? No, because people don't know how to talk about it. And people, I think actually the last podcast I listened to, the one Mm -hmm. you just posted, I think this week or today, 
people ask you like how are you and mm. they only want to hear you say you're good or fine because mm -hmm. if you say anything else they really don't know how to respond if you tell right. someone you're suicidal they don't know what to say and you know it's not their fault people just don't know how to respond because we don't talk about it enough and in my life i know personally if i have said very few times that i'm not well or like I'm feeling this way. A lot of people will like change the subject. Oh, this happened to me today. And I'm like, wait, I just told you this really big piece of information. Like, why are we changing the subject? But that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Right. And I have a tough question here and maybe an unanswerable question, but I was thinking, how would you want people to respond? And I imagine one way based on what you just said is not to change the subject to start with. Yeah. Yeah, there any, I mean, I don't want to say, hey, Angie, give people some tips on how to communicate better, but is there something that comes to mind that, that people can think about? Should that conversation come up? Well, one thing they can do is listen, you know, maybe even ask the person what they need, ask questions, sit with them, don't judge the person. It's one thing I get. People judge, mm -hmm. criticize, people just don't listen is a big thing. They just don't listen. They, they dismiss all too often suicide thoughts, ideation. They, they dismiss it too quick or yeah. totally. People just need to listen. They need to be open. It, it's really hard to say because I think every person with suicide ideation and or thoughts needs different things in different times. Even me personally, at different moments, I need different things. Sometimes I need someone to listen. Sometimes I need someone to like talk, tell me they're there for me, mm -hmm. that they're going to sit there and they're going to cry with me or they're going to give me a hug. But just like, don't be dismissive. Don't pretend that you didn't hear what I said to you. Like acknowledge that I said it to you. Mm. I think those are really big things. Huge. And don't be scared. Like, don't be frightened because it's not, it's not like I'm telling you I'm going to do something dangerous to somebody else like I'm not, I'm not a danger not a monster it's just feelings mm. you know it's not a bad thing do you have anybody in your life to talk to about this stuff who, who can do the things you just suggested people do i'm building i'm slowly building my little village it's nice. a work in progress it's getting there yeah it's getting better it's better than what it was but it takes time you know yeah a lot of time and you'd said also so about a year ago, you tried. And then what happened in October? Yeah, October 14th. Yeah, I, I have some big things going on with my family. I essentially cut ties with my family and mm. things were just, you know, overwhelming. I, I had been planning it for a while. It was supposed to happen before and I kept putting it off because I, I didn't want to do it. And I was holding on hope and looking for ways to like not do it. I'm going to say it was an impulsive act, even though I had planned it. And I tried to call for help. And I, I called this, we have this 24 hour crisis line here in where I live. And the response I got from the crisis worker was very just disconcerting. And she basically said, like, if I'm planning to take pills and I just needed to call somebody else and to not bother them, basically. And I was just like, 
such everything I needed you not to say. Mm. And I just hung up the phone and like took all the pills. I was like, you know, I called you because I really wanted you to like help me get through this moment. And I'm not putting it on her at all because it was absolutely my decision. But like, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope she hears this. Yeah, I hope so too. I, I've actually had a conversation with her supervisor because it was absolutely everything she should not have said to me in mm-hmm. her position. But it's little things like that that people, especially in her position and other, a lot of mental health professionals, doctors, nurses, crisis workers, you know, they themselves need to educate them. I've been to the hospital too many times. I I can't even count. I've I've been told some horrific things. I've been told by mental health nurses that I'm a waste of a life, that like things like that. And it's it's very unfortunate because most all the times that I've been to hospital, I'm, I'm very sick. I'm not in my right mind. I'm, you know, either psychotic or delusional or just very unwell. Mm-hmm. You know, they're supposed to be there to help me, to get me through it. Because when I'm well, I, I'm very, I'm okay. I, you know, I know what's what. And obviously I, I wouldn't act the way I act when I'm unwell. So it's unfortunate that there is people like that. Well, eventually when I, I get really good is to be an advocate for people who can't advocate for themselves to do something like you're doing or when I get good, I'm going to do something like that. Good. Given what you've gone through, which is a, it's a lot. Uh, and the fact that it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people or there's very few people who you can really have these conversations with, but you said you're building that village. You said that yeah, that's yeah. something that's happening. But what do you think is the um, the thing, if there's one thing, and there's probably several, but the thing that people most misunderstand about you? I'm able to present myself very well. Mm-hmm. I've been told this by a therapist that I've had for a very long time. So I, I can be very sick and present myself very well. That causes people to like not help me because they'll say things like, oh, you're fine. You're okay. You're doing good. And then I'll go home and like fall apart. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but mm. I, I think people yeah, perceive me wrong because I am not good with like telling people I need help because I've always been ashamed and then I don't always have the right words. So I think people misjudge me a lot like that. I've had actually my attempt in February. I'll say this kind of quick. I had workers who were working with one of my little ones, his mental health workers, they were actually concerned about me because whatever was happening with me and they called to do a wellness check on me. They called the police because they knew stuff was happening with me. And the police and the crisis worker, the mobile crisis workers came to my house to check on me. And I managed to convince them because that's what I do, that I was fine. It was not even four hours later. I was found unconscious because I opened mm. up. Yeah, so things like that. I, I send red flag, but then because I appear like well-dressed, I'm not falling apart how they want me to, you know? Yeah, it's a good point you make that the, the idea that fill in the blank, you know, mentally ill or whomever are should present a certain way. And if we don't fit that, then it must mean something else. And it's like, you're just probably wrong. Yeah. 
you're not right. You don't know a lot. You're not asking questions. You're not. Yeah. We need to educate people better. And this yeah. is a great start. Your podcast. I really, I really appreciate what you're doing. I love this. I, no, thanks. I really enjoy listening to them. Well, you'll be hearing yours soon. <sighs> I hope you can listen to it. Some people have a hard time listening to themselves. Yeah, I don't know if I'll listen to my own, but right, okay. Well, you know, (laughs) and then, but just know there will be people who hear it, and I'm sure will, like you have apparently with some of the other episodes, they will learn from it or benefit from it or whatever, which is great. I hope Um, so. The last few months, in part due to the new DBT, that it's actually been a, it's been going well. Yes, DBT has been a lifesaver along with my psychiatrist and a good combination of medication. Yeah. It's been a lot of hard work though. It hasn't been easy. I struggle, but. Sure. I I think I'm on the right path. I think I'm getting there. Yeah. I mean, and it sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong here, that if you weren't on that path, you probably wouldn't have reached out. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. That's a sign. Yes. I believe so. Now, if you hear the podcast, you know, I almost always ask this question and I'm going to ask you, you, I know the future is impossible to know, but the uh, likelihood that you think you'll try again, you've tried four times. If my math is correct, if I heard you correctly, what do you think? I mean, I know we don't know the future, but you know, you know, you, I want to say, I I hope I I don't, but it's like what I know the bad habit I need to break. Hmm. But I'm good at, I'm, I'm getting really good at like telling people when I, there's like signs, I, I start to hoard my medication and stuff like that. So I'm getting really good at telling people when I'm starting to notice me doing those things. Mm-hmm. So I want to say, hopefully not. I don't know, right? Yeah. But I really hope not. Because I really feel really empowered the last couple of months. Nice. They're really different for the first time in my life. I've made some very good boundaries. People who are just toxic in my life. I want to say no. Mm. You know, I I hope I can stick to that. I really hope I can. I hope that for you. I'm curious, given what you shared in in the, it's just been a, it's been like a lifelong struggle. And then you say recently it's been positive and you feel empowered in addition to being able to set boundaries with certain people that are toxic, is there anything else sort of day to day, like in your life, that's just better? I think just everything is getting better because of me being able to stand up for myself, speak up for myself, set boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, things are getting better with my kids. So yeah, because one thing gets better, it's like a domino effect. You know, mm-hmm. everything has that chain reaction. Mm. So, yeah, I think everything is slowly getting better. It's like a really good chain reaction. So, yeah, I would think everything is getting better, but it's it's a process. It's like not overnight. And, you know, I, I don't want to, like, hold my breath. I'm still waiting for <laughs> the bad thing to happen because bad things always happen in my life. But I'm being optimistic and I'm hoping for good things to continue to happen. Mm. Anything else you want to share? I really, I want to thank you again for joining me. I'm glad with Zoom that you in Ontario and me in North Carolina can just connect and talk. I know, I love it. Right? 
Um, is there anything else that you want to share with whomever might stumble across this episode of this podcast and hear Angie in Ontario? Uh, I just, I hope it helps somebody. I just want to say to whoever listens, like, stay strong. There's hope. We're, we're in this together. We don't give up. Mm. Purple. Yes, purple. Good color. It is. Uh-huh. It's a strong color. It is a strong color. Well, I wish all those things for you. 2022, let's cross our fucking fingers. Yes. But um, it's okay. COVID free 2022, that's my wish. Let's hope that happens. And I wish for you all the things that you want that you said. Not just to not attempt or not be dead, though those are starting points, but to actually even sometimes, and I say this for myself, not just to you or others, like sometimes things are okay, maybe. Hopefully. I hope to get there too one day. I'm getting there though. Awesome. And I appreciate you. This this is important what you're doing. It really is. Thanks. Trying. It really matters. I appreciate that. It's good to hear that. Thank you. All right, Angie. I uh, hope your evening goes well and uh, I'll, I'll connect with you soon. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Good night. Good night. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Angie up in Ontario. Thank you, Angie. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. And please, if you listen on Apple, rate and review this podcast. It really helps people find it. And I think there are people out there that need to find it. Thanks so much. That is all for episode number 90. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.